Luke. Um, so if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, or it'll be up on the screen, I'm rolling up my sleeves, we're going to get serious. Okay? Um, we're going to fast forward just a little bit in Luke to uh, chapter 18, and uh, Greg that preached for us last week uh, kind of had a, a difficult passage that he was preaching on as we work our way through Luke. And, uh, you know, if I, if I get to a place where I don't like the passage that I should be preaching on in Luke, I'll just jump forward to where I want to go. And uh, so that's what we're doing today. Um, and we've got a lot of runners out there in the crowd. I think there's some walkers, too, folks that like to walk, take, for, take a walk at times. Put on your shoes, your walking shoes. We're going to take a walk today with Jesus, okay? We're going to join him. Uh, on a walk. Uh, as Steve has mentioned in the last few weeks, Jesus has basically set his face towards Jerusalem. He's headed to Jerusalem for the last time. And um, we're going to pick it up in 18, uh, verse 35. But before we get there, let me catch you up a little bit with what's happened a bit uh, just prior to this. Okay, give you a little context. You can stretch out, warm up, do whatever you need to do before you walk. You won't get winded today on the walk. You might wish I got winded, but... Um, so let me give you just a little bit of, of context here. Jesus is heading south out of, out of Samaria, uh, through the edge of Samaria, from Galilee, Samaria, and now he's getting close to, to Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. Um, now, as was his custom, there's, there's usually a group of people with Jesus everywhere he goes. His followers, but people that, you know, he, he's, uh, he's encountering along the way. So, um, but there's probably, it's a bit like a parade in Pitkin. We have these parades in Pitkin once a year. And, you know, basically anybody can come. If you want to be in the parade, just show up. You know, if you've got a bicycle you want to ride, ride it. You know, if you've got a dog you want to walk in the parade, fine. So what ends up happening is there's way more people in the parade than are actually watching the parade, okay? So that's kind of what I envision here today. There's, there's a lot more people walking with Jesus. They kind of want to see, want to check him out, um, than there are actually watching, you know, from a distance. Um, but he's teaching and ministering as is his custom as he goes. So earlier in the day, he's been teaching on prayer. Uh, he's told a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Um, some children were trying to get to him, and people were bringing babies, and somebody rebuked him. And, and he said, no, 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 let the children come to me. You know, they're uh, little ones like this are meant for the kingdom. Uh, if you don't receive the kingdom like a child, you'll never enter it, that famous passage. And then there's three individuals that Jesus comes across today. Uh, we're going to read about two of them. There's one prior to this. We just don't have time to read it all. But um, there's one just prior to this, the rich ruler. He's a religious guy. He's rich and comes up to Jesus and asks a, a great question, one hopefully we all ask. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, for starters, this is the SIV version, <laughs> Spencer International Version. Basically, keep the commandments. And, and this guy, being a religious ruler, says, uh, you know, been there, done that. What else you got? 
Um, not that keeping the commandments would give them eternal life, but keeping the, command, the commandments should help us see our need for a Savior, right? That I can't keep the commandments. But that guy doesn't get it, and he says, uh, you know, I've been there, done that. What else? And Jesus says, well, you know, once you sell everything, you've got to give it to the poor and come follow me. He helps the ante on the guy. And the guy turns away sad because he can't do it, right? Can't part with it. Can't part with his money. So now we're kind of caught up, okay? We're caught up with the crowd. We're going to join the parade and start walking with Jesus, okay? Let's pray together, and then we'll read this passage. Take a moment right now on your own and just ask God to speak to you today. Lord, I ask that you would speak to each and every one of us today. Lord, your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The things that I have to share today don't mean a whole lot, but what you have to say to us are of utmost importance. So speak clearly. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to pick things up in Luke 18, 35. Okay? So if you'd like to read along with me, please do. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Okay, that's the first individual, or the second individual. We got the rich ruler, and then we got this blind guy. His name is Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, okay? We may just shorten it to Bart for the sake of our sermon, okay? Um, he's blind and begging. Um, in Jesus' day, for a blind man... Um, if you were blind, you were usually cast out of your home because you were considered to have a curse, okay? That's an important piece. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Now we're going we're to encounter the second individual, or the third individual, I'm sorry, in 19 verse 1. Let's read these first 10 chapters. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. So the third guy is Zach, Zacchaeus. Three individuals, three invitations. Jesus extends an invitation to each of them, doesn't he? Um, they each have an opportunity to respond to Jesus in some way. So I was reading this passage, uh, preparing for this sermon. Um, you know, you, you read passages differently at different times, right? Many of you have read this passage a number of times, right? I had before, too. You know, and, and that's the great thing about the Word of God. It's, it's living and active. Um, and and the, at the moment you're reading, whatever passage it is, you're the only person in history with your circumstances going through what you've been through, seeing the world through your filter, reading the Word of God, and, and the Holy Spirit having a chance to, to bring it to your heart and teach you. So it, it's every time we go to the Word of God, it's unique, right? It's unique, and it's meant to correct, rebuke, train, and teach us, right? That's what Paul told Timothy. Um, I'm amazed sometimes when I, when I go to the Word of God how he, how he teaches me. When my heart's when my heart's fertile, uh, God can plant seeds. And uh, years ago, is anybody in here a pilot by chance? Anybody? We got one. Eb? Rigo? Really? Sweet. Um, anyway, a number of years ago, I, I'm not current anymore, but I got my pilot's license here in Gunnison 20 years ago. Um, one of the exercises they teach you uh, with your instructors, they take you up after you've been flying for a while, take you up, and uh, he puts a hood on you. Um, and the hood does not allow you to see outside the airplane. All you can do is see the instrument panel. That's it. And, um, and then basically what the instructor does is he takes control of the plane, asks you to put your head in your lap, where you can't even see the instruments now, close your eyes, and he takes the plane. Then he just does this. You know, until your kinesthetic senses are gone. Your equilibrium's gone. You have no idea. It's like being dizzy, only in every dimension, right? And so you, you, every, what you think is up is down now. What you think is right not be left. And after he does that for a little bit and you are just messed up, he goes, plane's yours. Takes his feet off the pedals, hands off the yoke, and it's your plane. Well, you look up but you can't see outside. You cannot see the horizon. You can't see the ground. You look at the instruments. Obvious exercise. It's called unusual attitude adjustment. And you have to look at your instruments and then adjust accordingly. Well, uh, the first time I did it, I swore we were in a nosedive going to the left because that's what my feeling said. Everything in me wanted to grab that plane and pull back on the yoke to make me go up and turn to the right. But when I looked at the panel and my attitude indicator, it said, no, you are going up and to the right. If you go up anymore, you're going to stall the airplane. Um, as I finished that exercise, God began to use that and say, that's, that's what my word is like for you. If you rely only on your feelings, you will crash. You will crash in the Christian life right? 
you have to trust the instrument. Number one, you have to trust them, right? You have to believe that the Word of God is true. Number two, you have to look at it. You can trust instruments in an airplane, but if you don't look at them, it doesn't do you any good, right? And then, finally, you better adjust accordingly, right? Um, so anyway, I went to the Word of God here recently. I was looking at this passage, and um, what was interesting to me was how I felt about each of these people, these individuals that day. What was going through my heart as I read. When I thought about Bartimaeus, uh, you're probably like me. I mean, my heart just goes out to this guy. Here's a blind beggar on the side of the road, right? He's blind, he's poor. My heart, I'm just full of compassion, right? Hopefully you would be too. Um... I thought back to the rich ruler, which we didn't read, but I told you about. Uh, not a ton of compassion, honestly, but at least some. He's asking great questions, isn't he? He's asking the right questions. Now, he's, on the, he's unwilling to deal with what Jesus gives him, but he's at least asking the right questions. And then I jump to Zacchaeus, and uh, I go, at least at first glance, I got zero compassion for this little dude. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're different. Maybe it's just me. Um, but I, I'm going, why is that? As, that? as I start to unpack who he is a little bit, I realize, man, I, I, don't, I don't feel anything for this guy. You know? He's a tax collector. He's wealthy. That says a lot about him. A tax collector means he sold out to the Romans. The Romans, the occupying government in Israel, and he has chosen to work for them, to take taxes from his own people and give it to the Romans. He's a traitor, right? He's a traitor. Um, we also know he's, he's a chief tax collector. We don't know how old Zacchaeus is or how long he's been a tax collector, um, but he's been at it a while since he's, he's risen to the status of chief of tax collectors. He's not your rookie IRS agent, okay? He's the guy answering to the Senate Oversight Committee in Washington right now, right? If you've been listening to your news at all. Um, imagine just a minute, you know, if he were set up here in Gunnison, this is Jericho. Since he's a chief tax collector, he's got tax collectors working under him. So... He's probably got about four tax collectors at every exit or entrance into town. So right over here by, by McDonald's and Highway 50, East Highway 50, one on the west end of 50, one up here on 135, going towards Crested Butte, and one you know, out here towards Hartman Rocks. And these four tax collectors have a booth, and if you come through, they take taxes, right? They take what the Roman government requires, and then they take more to line their pockets. Well, Zacchaeus is set up here at Maine and Tomichi, and all those guys report to him, and he gets a cut of all their money, right? This is one of our first examples of organized crime right here. <laughs> it really is. Um, he's rich. He's hated. I, I, I don't have much compassion anymore. I don't know about you. They're outcasts. It's like having compassion for a guy with a hangover. Oh, you have a headache? Really? Not a lot of compassion. That's the first glance. When I take a second glance, 
and a deeper look at Zacchaeus, things start to change for me. If I don't let the circumstances cloud God's heart in me, and I start to put myself in his shoes, I start to feel something different. I start to see God's compassion for him. No Orthodox Jew would have had anything to do with the tax collector. None. You don't even look at him. Other than paying your tax, which you're required to do, you have nothing to do with him. So this guy is basically shunned completely. He's an outcast. And yet, Jesus extends the same invitation to him as he does the others. And it's basically, come to me. Come to me. Why do I have zero compassion? Maybe it's because my compassion is directly proportional to what I see. God's compassion is directly proportional to his heart. And there's a great difference in there. He's an outcast. He's been shunned. After all, haven't we all been shunned at one time or another? Haven't you? Maybe you've been the one left out of something. You've been the one that hasn't been invited to something. Maybe you've been shunned for what you do. Maybe you've been shunned for how you look. Zacchaeus was probably shunned for both of those. We've got dear friends here from Oklahoma and Alaska today. Um, the friends from Alaska, their, uh, their uh, dad and husband aren't, isn't here. He's a dear friend of mine from years and years ago at Western State and then Alaska when we lived up there together. And uh, Anyway, he, his name is Kurt, and uh, I wish you could meet him. Someday you will. Uh, Kurt and I had the pleasure of, of living two years together in Alaska, and the, last, the second of those years we lived out in the bush, lived in, in the wilderness for almost a year, just kind of hunting, trapping, living off the land. Anyway, when I moved home, and when, when Kurt did too, uh, my hair was about down to here. <laughs> I had a beard down to here. Uh, Kurt was a little different. He had a kind of a scraggly beard, and instead of his hair growing down, it went out. He had this fro. He was like 5'8", but he, you know, like 6'8", with a fro. Um, anyway, I, I remember some of the looks I got when I came back to Gunnison the first few days I was in town, you know? Kids, come to this side of the street, you know? That's a hippie there. Um, a few days after that, I, I went immediately to a wedding in Oklahoma City, and I uh, honestly didn't know if they were going to let me on the plane in Denver because of the way I looked. Now, my shunning was very temporary, was uh, minor in comparison. Nothing a haircut and a razor wouldn't fix, right? Zacchaeus's shunning had lasted years, okay? Years. I was on a flight a couple years ago from uh, Denver to Washington, D.C., and uh, the entire plane was loaded. There was a couple empty seats around. Uh, we were obviously waiting for somebody. Everybody's kind of getting fidgety, waiting for the plane to back up from the jetway. And finally, uh, the last passenger gets, you know, rounds the corner from the jetway into the aisle, and he starts walking up the aisle. Um, this guy was a big, big dude. He was dressed in all black. Every stitch of clothing he had was black. He had a black hat. Um, he had um, 
black eyeshadow. They had black fingernail polish on. What are they, is it gothic? Is that what it's called? Gothic look? I don't know. We don't see it a lot in Ohio City, but I, you, could, you could feel collectively the air kind of go out of this plane. Like, you know, like cabin pressure's changing. Might be some oxygen mask dropping down here. Anyway, this guy's walking down the aisle. Um, there were some adjectives rolling around in my head. You know what I mean? Um, not good adjective. Um, I knew they were bubbling up from my heart. You know what I mean? Um, as he came down the aisle further, the people that had a spare seat next to them, when he would go by, would, you'd see this, whew, I was going to sit by me, you know. Uh, well, I came, and of course, I had a seat by me. And that's where God brought him. Boom. That was his assigned seat. Sat down next to me. I turned to the window. I'm not, I'm not doing this. Of course, I only made it about 10 minutes after takeoff before the Holy Spirit goes, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> you know, and you start that wrestling match with God. I don't want to talk to this. No, yes, you do. <laughs> you know, uh, well, I only made it about a half an hour before God won, pinned me, and I said, okay. I turned to the guy and said, how you doing? Started a conversation with him. Well, he turned out to be a pleasant young man. Um, Looks had nothing to do with how he acted. Um, asked him where he was going, what he was doing, you know. I'm going to D.C., talked to a, a recording studio about cutting an album for my band. Really, tell me about your band. Well, this is the name of the band. I, I will never forget it. You probably won't either. The name of the band was The Cemetery Sex Cult. And, of course, I, you know, looked like a deer in the headlights and went, What? And he, he said, yeah, that's kind of why we chose that name. It gets a good reaction, you know, something catchy you won't forget. Yeah, I won't forget it. I said, do you write your own music and, and words? Yeah, yeah, all our, own, all our own stuff. What kind of songs do you write? What's well, about everything, life, you know. Whatever's happening in life, we write about it. I said, oh, cool. You got any songs, spiritual songs, songs about God? No, no. I actually would never thought about it. Anyway, we had an incredible conversation, and I asked him, you know, an hour later, can I, can I share my story with you? Yeah, give me a big green light, shared my whole story with him, shared the gospel with him. By the time we got off the plane, I was handing him a, a little gospel thing that explained it more, you know, and uh, he said, thank you, thank you. This is probably why I came on this flight, I think. And he went in for the, the man hug, you know, the bro hug, and that, that got a look from people around us. You know, they're going, what is this dude? Um, when I read Zacchaeus' story the other day, I was reminded of that guy. Um, how my compassion for people is usually based on what I see at first. Not on God's heart in me. Um, I've been praying a lot more lately, especially since reading this passage again, that God would give me his heart, his compassion for people. Not just the blind beggars that are easy to, um, but the well-to-do, the guys that have the gothic look, the IRS in April, uh, people that aren't that much different than me, right? As you read these two chapters, you quickly see that Jesus immediately begins to illustrate some of the things he's teaching as he walks. Um, 
The parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee I told you about is, is, is a parable about having the humility to see our need for God. And then instantly you see this rich, young, rich ruler that can't see his need. And yet you see Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, that both understand their need for God, right? It's been said there's two kinds of people. There's sinners who know it and sinners who don't. Do you see your need for Jesus? After his second, after his encounter with this rich ruler, he explains this famous passage you're familiar with where he says, when the guy can't part with his wealth, and he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom. But what's impossible for man is possible with God. And then Jesus immediately proves it with Zacchaeus. Here's a wealthy man who receives salvation, right? Who enters the kingdom. Another teaching you see lived out, lived out is that we need to receive the kingdom like a child. Jesus had just gone through this, right, with everybody. So you, you, you need to receive the, the kingdom like a child. The, the kingdom is meant for such as these. Climbing a tree, going out on a limb at a parade. Kind of childish, isn't it? And then climbing down overjoyed when, when, when the parade marshal stops and talks to you. Just like a child. Jesus isn't throwing candy, though, is he? He's got a lot more for Zacchaeus. It's not that he just needs a place to, to crash or stay. You see, for Zacchaeus, who's been shunned for years, and Jesus, who says, I must stay at your house today, Zacchaeus. Um, if you're an Orthodox Jew and you say something like that, it's not because you need a place to crash. Or you need something to eat, okay? If you eat with someone or go to their home, it's a sign of friendship and fellowship. That's why Zacchaeus is overjoyed when he comes out of that tree. Someone wants to be his friend. Someone is ready to accept him for who he is, just the way he is. That's why he's so excited. If you read these two chapters, you will see a similarity between this blind beggar and this chief of tax collectors, too. When Jesus asked Bartimaeus what he wanted, what do you want me to do for you? What did what, what, the blind guy say? I want to see, right? In verse 3 of 19, Zacchaeus climbs a tree because he wants to see. You also notice that both Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus do something the rich young ruler or rich ruler couldn't or wouldn't. He couldn't let go of something that hindered him from following Jesus. The rich ruler wouldn't part with his money. Zacchaeus did it without any prompting whatsoever. I'll give away half my possessions. And if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay him back four times. He cheated a lot of people. He was ready to deal with it. It's not just the money, though, is it? It's everything it represented in Zacchaeus' life. We all have things, or people, mostly things, that Jesus asks us to give up in order to follow him. For Zacchaeus, it was money. For Bartimaeus, we're told, if you go back to read 
the Gospel of Mark, in Mark's account of the story of Bartimaeus, he has a cloak. Now, like I said earlier, Bartimaeus, in, in Jesus' day, if you were blind, you were considered to have a curse. So your family usually threw you out. They would give you a cloak to take with you. That is it. That's your shelter. That's your sleeping pad. That's your shade. It's everything. It's the only thing Bartimaeus has. In Mark's account, when he stands up, he throws his cloak aside and comes to Jesus. Sees and starts following and praising God. It's all he has. We're told that the first disciples, what did they give up? Walked away from their nets, walked away from their boats, and started following him. Is there anything you're hanging on to today? Anything that you're hanging on to that Jesus has said, it's time to let go of that in order to follow me. I wonder what I'd have done that day if I'd have been truly walking with Jesus in that crowd when I saw Zacchaeus. I often wonder, because I know my heart, um, would I have turned the other way? Would I have ignored Zacchaeus? Would, have, would I have been embarrassed that a grown man is up in a tree? Would I have said something rude? All of which I'm capable of. You know what? Jesus saw something in Zacchaeus that wasn't apparent to everyone else. It wasn't apparent to me when I first read it. Probably wasn't it apparent to even Zacchaeus himself. You know, it's the two outcasts that readily recognize who Jesus is, the Messiah, not the religious guy that day. Isn't that something? It's a blind beggar who's been an outcast and a tax collector that recognize who Jesus is. But Jesus saw something in Zacchaeus that wasn't evidence to even him. Reminds me of Peter, the first time Peter meets Jesus. Do you remember it? John chapter 1. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, has, has found the Messiah. And the first thing he does is go and get his brother and bring him to Jesus. And as he walks up, Jesus looks at him and goes, You're Simon, son of John. I'm going to call you Peter. It's really a curious introduction. You know what? It's fascinating. I know who you are. I know where you've been. It's like Jesus looks at every one of us with bifocals, you know? And the up close right here is who you are. You're, you're, you're Spencer, son of David. I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. But it, he doesn't stop there. He raises up and looks into the future and says, this is who you'll become. I'm going to give you a new name with that, a new purpose. I call it the lens of divine potential. And I think God looks at every one of us that way, just like he looked at Zacchaeus and saw something that wasn't evident yet. I see who you'll become when your life is mine. When you've entered into friendship with me, you've started following me, and you've surrendered your life completely to me. The old is gone, the new is come, and I see who you will become, Peter. You'll become a rock. You'll become something I build my church on. It's true for every one of us. 
right? If we accept the invitation. I think Jesus looked at Zacchaeus that day and knew who he would become. He extends an invitation of friendship and fellowship. Yeah, I make up words. Fellowship. Not fellowship, fellowship. Fellowship's part of it. Friendship and fellowship. Not just come to me, but follow me. If you need to let go of something in order to do that, let go of it. That's where many of us might be. We've accepted the invitation of friendship and salvation, but it's time to keep following. It's the difference in being a fan and a follower. Anybody recently read the book, Not a Fan? A few people in here, some of the youth I know have. Annette and I read it a couple years ago. Kyle Eidelman, Not a Fan. Great book. There's a lot of people who are fans of Jesus, but the life he calls us to is one of fellowship. I believe the greatest joy that the human spirit can ever know is when we walk with God in intimacy, in holiness. We lay down our life and follow him. We let go of everything. Something else you notice in the crowd that day. After Jesus heals Bartimaeus, we're told that all the people praised God. Pretty cool, right? Parade erupts. Do you know just a few minutes later, all the people grumbled because Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house? How quick they turned. Fans, temporary fans at best. One of the differences between fans and followers is you'll praise God and trust him no matter what. It doesn't change with your circumstances. When God doesn't do what, he, what you want or you think he should, you're able to still praise him and still trust him. Followers' faith isn't rocked when God doesn't do what he thinks he should. We keep trusting, we keep praising. Jesus wants followers. People will say, I'm yours. People will pray like Jeremiah prayed, Lord, I know that a man's life is not his own. I've been bought and paid for. It's not my life. I was taught this lesson again a couple years ago by two young brothers. One of the things Annette and I get to do with Bighorn Ministries that we work for, work with, um, is once a year we host these kids with, uh, we partner with a foundation called Hunt of a Lifetime. And Hunt of a Lifetime is kind of like Make-A-Wish Foundation. Except Make-A-Wish won't take kids on a hunting or fishing trip if that's what their dream is. So a mom started this Hunt of a Lifetime Foundation 15, 20 years ago. And we partner with them once a year and take kids uh, 21 years and younger who have a life-threatening disease or illness on a dream hunt. And maybe their dream is to hunt elk or deer or something in, in Colorado. A lot of them are from back east, never been out west, and they want to come and hunt. So I get the privilege of taking these guys for, for a week and just ministering to them, just loving on a family that is facing crisis. Um, there's a group of guys from church here that help me, Steve Gray and Bill Kahlo and Cody Dice that just got married yesterday to Tammy, the middle school leader. Um, Nick, Ray, anyway, there's a whole group of guys. That, and it is, it is one of the favorite weeks of the year for me. Drive around and take a kid hunting. We build special things on the windows so they can shoot out the window because a lot of them can't walk. 
Uh, they get special permits from the Division of Wildlife to, to disability permits to hunt that way. Anyway, um, two years ago, we hosted two brothers um, from Pennsylvania, Matthew and Jeremiah. Um, they have a progressive, both of them have a progressive neurological disorder that affects kids when they're very young. Um, the life expectancy of someone with this disease is 20 years old. Um, Jeremiah is now 23. I talked to his their parents a uh, month or two ago. Jeremiah is 23. Matthew is 21. They were here two years ago. So it was a miracle that really that they were even still alive, uh, let alone that they could come on a hunt. Uh, they couldn't walk anymore. We carried them everywhere. Uh, their bodies are just literally wasting away. Um, it was hard for them to communicate anymore. You could understand them if you really listened. Um, at the end of the hunt, they both, they both got their dreams. One of them got to shoot an elk. One of them got to shoot a deer. Uh, had an incredible time with their family. And at the end of the hunt, we were up here at Palisade Restaurant having a meal together with all the guys. And uh, I asked, I knew that this family knew the Lord. Um, and I asked the younger one, Matthew, if he'd like to ask a blessing. And uh, before we ate, and he said, uh, yeah. And in this very broken, soft voice, Matthew prayed, God is good. God is great. And we thank you for this food. God is good. God is great no matter what. I wept as I thought of this young man whose life is literally wasting away, who's never had a normal life, ever. And it didn't faze him. He said, God, you're good. God, you're great. I trust you. I praise you. What's going on in my life really doesn't matter. I will trust you, and I will praise you. That's what Jesus calls us to, is to follow him in that way. Invitation is the same for all of us. Friendship and fellowship. So if you're here today and you've never entered into friendship with Jesus, it's time to open the invitation. It's time to RSVP. And simply say, I, I want you. I want this. I know that you died on a cross for me to pave the way for friendship, to remove the one barrier between me and God, my own sin. You paid for that. You died on a cross for that. I received that as a gift, and I received this friendship, just like Zacchaeus did. Some of you may have never understood how to follow him. You're still in the driver's seat. You've entered into friendship, but you've said, no, I'm just not ready to surrender. I'm just not, uh, I'm not ready to give Jesus my life. That's also what he calls us to. It's not yours. He bought and paid for you. Others of us have followed God at times, but when he didn't do what we thought or we expected, we quit. We kind of got stuck right there. Said, you know what? I just don't know if I can trust you. You need to learn the lesson that Matthew taught me. God is good. God is great all the time, no matter what. And he is worthy of your trust, and he is worthy of your praise. And that's part of following him. We're going to close with the hymn. Um, appropriately, I have decided to follow Jesus. So if you would stand with me. Um,
for our closing hymn. Before you sit down, 